0: Appalachia, the word that evokes a whole passel of reactions. Everything from the beauty of a mountaintop to trailer parks, drugs, and about everything in between. The Appalachian Mountains are indeed the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air. They stretch from eastern Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The folks who live in these mountains have faced an unending number of tragic and Just plain odd happenings that cry out for the telling. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and I was born and raised in these very mountains by a family who themselves were born, raised, and lived for generations in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. Come with me and we'll take a look at some of the unending stories that come from within my beloved mountains. And we'll look through the eyes of an old Appalachian at some outside the area as well. Welcome to Season 4 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Howdy, my good friends. Sure hope you're doing well today. Thank you so much for taking time to swing by and hear what the old Appalachian geezer has to say today. I'll try not to disappoint you. Folks, Pocahontas County, West Virginia is a downright beautiful place. It holds the Monongahela National Forest, and that butts up against the Washington and Jefferson National Forest in Virginia. Some of my old stomping grounds. But, and there's that butt again. As beautiful as it all is, there's always that possibility that there's an a-hole out there standing around like a tick of hanging off a of chiggerweed just uh, waiting for some poor soul to come by that they can do with the as they see fit. In this case, the impious grabastic fruit loop saw fit to erase two people from the record books of life the hard way. So pull you up a sit down, grab a drink, while I tell you one, it's a fixin' the hair lip of governor. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Of course, I didn't know this while it was going on, but I remember it making the news the next day. Anyway, about 9 o'clock at night on June 25th, 1980, an unidentified college student noticed two people laying on the ground when he got out of his car at the edge of Droop Mountain National Park. Now, there in Pocahontas County. Now, Droop Mountain shoots up about 3,600 feet and is the scene of a Civil War battle that took place back in 1863. I'll leave it at that, because the Battle of Droop Mountain would take a whole episode to talk about, and in fact, we'll get to it real soon, I hope. At first, he thought he'd walked up on a couple who were locking belt buckles, if you know what I mean. He figured that he might ought to go over and politely tell them that they may want to keep it in their britches around there, because it's actually a public area, and a park ranger might not think its stuff kind of funny, like they do, but... As he got closer, he realized that what he was looking at wasn't anybody in the throes of passion at all. In fact, it wasn't mannequins, which was his second thought either. Somebody had shot two young women and left them there dead or dying. Anyway if they weren't dead when the unsub left, they certainly were now. They were identified as 26-year-old Vicki Durian and the 19-year-old Nancy Santamiro. That's a tongue twister for me and out of the mountains, but they'd both been shot at close range. Their bodies were laying in a remote clearing up on Droop Mountain, and a coroner's report confirmed that neither woman was sexually assaulted, so the motive for the murders wasn't all that clear. Police did have another hunch, though, and it all tied back to Pocahontas County. I suppose that Vicki and Nancy had been excited to hit the road when they left Iowa City, Iowa, back in mid-June. They were headed for the Monongahela National Park <clears throat> there in Pocahontas. Their uh, plan was to hitchhike. I know I hear you asking who in the world would do that. But, well, folks, <clears throat> the fact is that there was a <clears throat> right smart amount of hitchhiking that took place all across the country back when I was a little feller. I s- saw it all the time. Now, that that being said, 1980 would be more toward the end of that area, but folks still did it heck some folks still do it today don't they but it's uh, just a rarity nowadays because of that kind of thing that we're talking about today happening now the reason they were going there in the first place was uh, what they ca- go to a, what they call a rainbow gathering what's a rainbow gathering well back then it was defined as a group of folks from all the walks of life all skin colors and all different philosophies gathering together in a pre-specified forest to demonstrate that all mankind could live together, share ideas, and still remain peaceful. Sounds like a good concept on paper, don't it? It's what used to be called a love end back when I was young. But that being said, the actual results of the gatherings have been said to demonstrate a rise in various crimes, which would be a good bit of violence and a big mess left left behind for somebody else to have to come along and clean up and it was for that reason as you might have guessed the locals of pocahontas county weren't exactly thrilled about the rainbow gathering coming soon to a forest near you now that part i can clearly understand because nobody wants a beautiful national forest left in an absolute mess but even though the coroner didn't find any signs of sexual assault of the girls he did confirm that both had been killed by bullets from a twenty two now Nancy took a shot to the chest while Vicky was hit in the face, which as a matter of fact, right around the chin area, both had likely died nearly instantly. There were powder burns on Vicky's skin, which meant that the shot came from a very close range. Now, it wasn't long into the investigation that police figured out that the girls were actually traveling with a third partner. Her name was Liz Jondro. And what, She was the third girl, and a day before the murders, she had an uneasy feeling and parted ways with her friends at Richmond, Virginia truck stop. She said that the uneasy feeling wasn't a very logical reason to change course, so she remembered making a collect call to her brother back in Vermont and him telling her that her dad was fixing to get married the next weekend. So she took that as a good enough reason to change plans and head north instead of continuing on to the rainbow gathering. Liz, who is now in her 50s, described Vicky and Nancy as vibrant, fun-loving girls. Vicky went by her nickname, Bright Star. Nancy was more serious but curious and wanted to try new things. She, in fact, wanted to be a park ranger when she got a little older. Now, Even though they found it a bit odd that Liz had flown to coop on the other two right before the, they were murdered, there was no evidence that she did it for any other reason than the one she gave. So the investigators didn't see anything odd about that in the end. The Rainbow Gathering ended up drawing thousands of people, as it always did back in. Folks came from all over, but because the bodies of two women were found in such an isolated, off-the-wall place, law enforcement figured that uh, it had to be locals involved because no, you know, who else, you know, would know where the place was? Now, I've been up there, and they—I gotta say—they have a point. It's pretty tough to. Just stumble on it. Although I reckon there's a slim possibility they could have been done. Of course, there's also a slim possibility that aliens from another outer space swooped down and murdered the girls. But that's highly unlikely, if you catch my drift, folks. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now folks, being that they felt that the locals had did it, the investigators t- felt kind of responsible because they were locals too. They felt downright awful something like this had happened on their watch, and that made them even more determined to set things right and find out who did it. But despite everything they did, the case went ice cold. All that was until somebody started placing calls to Vicky's parents' house. The caller said that he was really sorry that his daughter had been killed near his farm. So in July of 1982, when the man called back, the FBI was waiting. They traced the call to 36-year-old Jacob Beard, a local farmer, who immediately fell under suspicion after saying in the second call that local investigators were just small-town rubes and not the brightest bulbs in the box. Of course, they be-lined it for Mr. Beard's place and asked him what he thought he was doing. Mr. Beard said that after reading an anniversary piece in the local newspaper, that he got all consumed up with thoughts of the murders and wanted to say how sorry he was about it all. That's about all he got out of his mouth before being pounced on with the gusto of a hound dog and dragged downtown to answer some serious questions. Now, during the interview with the state police and everybody else that was gathered around there to talk to him, Mr. Beard stuck to the story that he'd only called Vicky's family to express sympathy and didn't know anything else, and since there wasn't a bit of proof against him, they had to let him go, but they still thought at least he knew more than he was saying. Case went cold again until about 12 years after the murders. Some information started coming in to the investigators. That led to April 16, 1992, when murder charges were brought against Mr. Beard and six other men from Pocahontas County area, uh, two of these cha- uh, charged, uh, the, two of the charged, told investigators that Mr. Beard was the one that dropped the hammer on the girls. That was until they got to the pre-trial hearing. That's when one of the men claimed that police officer had physically threatened him during questioning. He said that he only told them what they wanted to hear while the officer was standing on his deck as he was laying handcuffed on a concrete floor. Uh, that part I've heard through the grapevine, so you might want to take it with a grain of salt. I seriously doubt that happened, honestly, folks, but following the allegations of improper police procedure, authorities promptly dropped all the charges, at least for the time being. By January of 1993, five of the men, including Mr. Beard, were re prosecutors would eventually dismiss all the charges except those against Mr. Beard. Why, I couldn't tell you. Sounds like the whole thing was pretty thin to me, but nonetheless, he faced trial for it. And while Farmer Beard sat in jail waiting his trial, his lawyers learned that in 1984, Joseph Paul Franklin, a convicted serial killer known for shooting and paralyzing Hustler publisher Larry Flint, claimed that he had murdered the two girls. Of course, once the rubber met the road, Mr. Franklin denied involvement and refused to speak any further about the Rainbow murders. A trial judge deemed Mr. Franklin's confession unreliable and blocked Mr. Beard's lawyers from saying a single solitary squib of a sentence about it. Now, by June 14, 1993, a jury convicted Mr. Beard in the killings of... and killings of the girls and sentenced him to life in prison without parole. Gave him big L-wop. Now, Mr. Beard's lawyer's petitioned the state presenting both Killer Franklin's original confession and new eyewitness testimony. testimony that placed Farmer Beard somewhere else on the day of the murders. Now, in January 1999, the conviction was thrown out and a new trial ordered. Now, he did go right straight back to trial as they could get him there and the second jury acquitted Farmer Beard on May 31st, 2000. He walked out of court straight to his lawyer's office, turned directly around, filed a wrongful, wrongful conviction lawsuit, and was awarded $2 million in a settlement, which uh, I guess ain't bad for a day's work. But folks, that's where everything stands to this day. I do believe that investigators did everything they could to help solve the case and find a killer, Despite it all, I believe there will probably never be justice for the victims at this date as far along as it's been. As much as I hate it, I think things have become so muddled up that now it's about as soft as it's ever going to get. Folks, I hope you enjoyed our story today. I know it's pretty tough to hear how it all shook out, and I do remember when it happened back when I was fixing to head off to basic training at the fabulous Fort Benning, Georgia. Now, it seems like quite a few things happened that summer and we're nowhere near getting close to talking about all of them but uh, you can bet your bippy I'll get to them if you like the podcast throw us a rate and a review on whatever podcatcher you're listening on come on over to Facebook group Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast where we talk Appalachian or about anything else you want to bring up and I'll be back real soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend and I will see you then